0: This is the C-SPAN Radio podcast, taking a look at the people, issues, and events shaping Washington, the nation, and the world. I'm Steve Scully. Our guest this week is former Congressman Leon Panetta. He also served as Secretary of Defense in the Obama White House, but his first job was CIA director during the start of the Obama administration. And we talked with him about the process of transitioning that agency from one administration to another. He also offers his advice to the new Secretary of Defense, retired General James Mattis, the changes he has seen in Washington, D.C. in his nearly four decades in politics, and the importance of the president getting honest, often unvarnished advice from cabinet members and his White House staff.
1: It is essential for president of the United States, uh, to have uh, someone in the White House, someone who is close to uh, to him and can speak honestly with him, uh, to be able to walk into the Oval Office uh, and say, Mr. President, you're wrong.
0: Joining us on the phone from the Monterey Peninsula in California is Leon Panetta. Thanks very much for being with us here on C-SPAN. We appreciate it. Nice to be with you, Steve. Has there ever been a job in government you haven't had? You've been in the House. You served as CIA director. You served as White House chief of staff. You served as the OMB director and, of course, as defense secretary in the Obama administration. You've done it all.
1: I've uh, had quite a right in uh, public service over the last 50 years. I've done a lot of different jobs and uh, really enjoyed the opportunity in each of them. It was a great experience. Well, let's talk about your
0: role as the CIA director, because right now we are seeing an awful lot of new people take over in key positions in the Trump administration. You were in that position eight years ago, starting essentially from scratch as the CIA director at the start of the Obama White House. So walk us through the process. What did you go through? What's it like for a new director or a new secretary?
1: The The important step is to, uh, is to really learn all you can about uh, the uh, agency or department that uh, you're going to be responsible for. And... Uh, you know i had uh, i've had a lot of experience in government uh you know as uh, in in my different positions whether in congress or in the administration so i had some familiarity obviously with uh what the cia was about and what its responsibilities were and uh, the intelligence uh, briefings that it provided but uh, by no means uh, did i understand uh, all of the different areas uh, that the uh, cia uh, was involved with uh, its basic structure. And so uh, first and foremost was a process of going through a whole series of briefings from CIA professionals uh, who were head of their key departments there and uh, presented to me a briefing on each area and what they do and what they're involved with. And at the same time, uh, as I was getting uh, those briefings on the uh, uh, the various uh, uh, departments and sub departments uh, there at the agency. Uh, I was also being briefed on uh, the most recent intelligence briefings that uh, they were putting together. So I was familiar not only with the structure there, but uh, familiar with the product in terms of intelligence. And that that really is the first step: just understand and know the breadth of the uh, department or agency that you're taking control of.
0: How critical are the deputies, the assistants, and the civil servant employees who are there, were there when you arrived, and often are there after you leave?
1: Well, I, in all my jobs, I've, uh, I've I've taken kind of a, a different approach in the, in the way to uh, approach these jobs. Uh, I have not gone into these jobs, uh you know, with the idea of of cleaning house and bringing a a whole group of uh, aides to me uh, from uh, my my uh, from my office and from my past experience, bringing those people in with me, uh, you know, marching a whole new army of new people into these agencies. I think that's a that's a bad mistake. Uh, so example is that when I went to the CIA, uh, the only person that came with me was my chief of staff. Uh, a person called Jeremy Bash, who had a lot of experience uh, in the intelligence committees and with the agency. And so uh, he came with me as my chief of staff, and we walked into the department, walked up to my office, uh, and I immediately uh, sat down with the key people there. I think it's it's very important to um, uh, to. Really rely on the professionals that are part of these jobs. These these are professional people. They're not Democrats or Republicans. They really are just good Americans who are doing their job. And I think uh, the sooner you kind of uh, trust them in the job they're they're doing, uh, the sooner they will trust you uh, in the relationship between director and uh, those involved in the agency. That that establishing that trust. Is absolutely essential to the ability to then uh, run that agency.
0: First elected to the Congress back in 1976, so you have worked with or for every president since Jimmy Carter all the way through Barack Obama. How does the president set the tone with the agencies and the departments that really uh, run under his administration?
1: Well, obviously, everything you do in these jobs uh, within an administration is aimed at serving the president and uh, doing what the president uh, wants to accomplish. So, you know, it, it, in in the big picture, uh, the, the president of the United States uh, essentially sets the agenda for, um, you know, for what he wants to accomplish and uh, obviously then. Uh, you determine what your role is as far as trying to assist the president in accomplishing those goals. Um, So I I think it is important that uh, when you're head of an agency uh, or a department Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, you are in touch with the White House. uh, And, you know, one of the things that has changed uh, is that – too often uh cabinet members are appointed uh, by the president, and they're they're good people and want to do their jobs uh, but so often um, you know the White House uh, has uh, located so many people at the White House now, whether it's the n s c or whether it's other jobs there, that a lot of the power has now been centralized uh, at the white house and in in the old days when presidents used to take the time. To really uh, speak with their cabinet secretaries, uh, speak with the people that are head of these departments uh, and engage with them. Uh, The fact is, over the last uh, 20, 25 years, there's less engagement with the uh, cabinet secretary and uh, that cabinet individual has to deal more with staff at the White House as opposed to the president. I think we've lost something as a result of that.
0: And Leon Panetta, you were the start of, uh, or part of the start of two administrations. And I'm wondering what changed from the start of the Clinton administration when you became the OMB director, Office of Management and Budget, and then the start of the Obama administration as the director of CIA. Two very different positions, but also a lot changed in terms of social media, technology, and how Two different presidents operated their White House.
1: Well, it it, it is it's important to uh, to really have uh, a good relationship with the president of the United States. Uh, no matter what position you're in, uh, having the trust of the president, uh, having a relationship uh, where you can speak honestly uh, to the president and have the president speak honestly to you, I think is extremely important to your ability. To do a good job, uh, and uh, it was uh, you know at, at the beginning with uh, in my first job as OMB director in the Clinton administration, uh, almost from the get-go, my first responsibility was to put together a budget uh, for the president and for his administration, uh, and um, the president was fully engaged in that process uh, almost right after the inaugural parade, uh, I walked into the White House. We walked into, uh, you know, the, uh, I think it was the Roosevelt Room, and began a whole set of briefings on areas in the budget uh, and what we were going to recommend uh, as far as that budget was concerned. And the president was very much uh, involved in that process. So almost from the very beginning, we we built a relationship that was very close uh, and very important in terms of developing uh, the budget, uh, which was one of the most important steps that uh, the Clinton administration took in enacting a tough budget that did deficit reduction, but also invested in a number of areas. Uh, it, at the uh, CIA, uh, it was very much the same in terms of the relationship with the president. He, you know, he uh, w- we had uh, some uh, very honest conversations about uh, the role of the CIA. He made very clear to me that uh, he wanted me to go after uh, bin Laden uh, and make that one of my primary uh, responsibilities. And I agreed with him and said I would do that. Uh, And then uh, obviously in the various meetings in the NSC, uh, we were presenting intelligence to the president, uh, who was then responsible for conducting the war in Iraq, conducting the war in Afghanistan but more importantly, conducting the war against al-Qaeda. So uh, almost from the get-go, there was a very close relationship because the president wanted to get uh, the very best intelligence possible in order to make some key decisions as to uh, what to do in those areas.
0: You said something earlier I want to follow up on, giving the president uh, honest advice, and often that means unvarnished advice and sometimes telling the president when he is wrong. Let me ask you about... Our 45th president, Donald Trump, do you think based on what you've seen so far in this first week that he has people around him who can tell him no or don't do this or that's the wrong thing to do?
1: Well, you're, I, you're I, I'm, not get, I'm not getting that impression. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, you're, you're absolutely right, though. I, I think it is it is essential for a president of the United States uh, to have uh, someone in the White House, someone who is close to, uh, to him and can speak honestly with him, uh, to be able to walk into the Oval Office uh, and say, Mr. President, you're wrong. Uh, don't do this. These are the implications. I mean, ultimately, President uh, obviously makes the final decision on everything. But uh, that President ought to be fully informed uh, about uh, whether or not he's going to step on a landmine or not, uh, as far as uh, his decisions are concerned. And. I think it is extremely important. I had I had as uh, not only OMB director but chief of staff uh, to President Clinton. I had that relationship with him. I could walk into the Oval Office and basically say, Mr. President, uh, I think you're wrong, and uh, don't take this step. These are the consequences. And to his credit, he would listen. You know, there are areas he would argue, but ultimately he would listen to that, or at least contemplate. You know, what, uh, you know, what the impact would be in terms of his decision. And President Obama was the same way. I spoke very honestly with him uh, about the issues I was dealing with, and, uh, and he uh, expected that. So I, I hope uh, the 45th president of the United States uh, will understand that uh, it is really important to have people around him who are willing to say to him, uh, you're wrong, you're making mistakes, and listen to that because uh, otherwise uh, a president, I mean, presidents, presidents of the United States are isolated enough just by virtue of being in the White House, uh, being separated largely uh, in a cocoon-like fashion from, uh, from the rest of the world. Uh, it is very important to have staff around you who can at least go in and tell you what's really happening in the world you're dealing with.
0: Do you, though, personally have to feel comfortable with yourself knowing he may fire me if I give him this advice. And, and so what goes through your mind as you're about to come to the Oval Office and say, don't do this, or you need to go this direction, or this is wrong, Mr. President? Uh,
1: you, have to, you have to have an honest relationship, and an honest relationship has to be based on the truth and uh, what you feel is really happening uh, with regards to a particular issue. And, yes, um, you know, you have to be confident enough in yourself— to know that uh, you know if you if you're direct with the president uh, that uh, there's always the risk that you might lose your job. But you know the most important responsibility you have in those jobs uh, is to the president and to the country. Uh, you swear allegiance to uh, protecting the country, uh, and that's what you have to do. You have to focus on the bigger mission. If this is all about your own ego and your own career, and where you're going, then I think, uh, I think you do not serve the president well, and more importantly, you don't serve the country well. Do you remember the advice you gave your
0: successor as White House Chief of Staff, Erskine Bowles?
1: <laughs> I do. Uh, Erskine was a great guy. I uh, had Erskine operate as my deputy. Uh, I also had uh, a fellow named Harold Ickes, who was my other deputy. We had a great uh, working relationship uh, in the White House. And, uh, you know, they they saw they came with me oftentimes into the Oval Office, uh, depending on the areas we were speaking to the president with. And uh, they saw the relationship that I had with the president. And uh, I think they understood that uh, their role, uh, Erskine, when he uh, when he took my position, understood that the. The best approach to dealing with the president is to be honest with him, to be direct with him, uh, to tell him when you think he might screw up or what the landmines were out there that he might uh, be stepping on in, in terms of the issues he was dealing with. And uh, I think he developed uh, the same kind of relationship with President Clinton that I did. You moved
0: from the CIA, moving ahead to the Obama White House, from the CIA to Secretary of Defense. And and I have to ask you, you were confirmed by the Senate a hundred to nothing. How did you
1: score that? <laughs> well, I, I, uh, actually, uh, uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, gave me a, uh, uh the actual uh, sheet on which the vote was recorded. And I have that, uh, here at the Panetta Institute on the wall. And, uh, I, I can't tell you how many people look at that and say, well, that, that may never happen again. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I, I you know to be to be honest, I think uh, uh, coming uh, coming off of the uh, success of the operation to go after bin Laden uh, obviously gave me uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, of support uh, in terms of uh, you know the the vote that uh, was taken when I was up for confirmation. So uh, I think a lot of people, uh, kind of took that into consideration when they were voting, but uh, you're right. I think it uh, it it's, it is it's an unusual vote, <laughs> and uh, you know it. Uh, I, I always treat it as uh, a vote of honor for me because uh, it was a it was a great reflection of the support that I got uh, when I became Secretary of Defense.
0: You ran and won the House back in 1976, and as you look at Washington over the last 35, 40 years, what's changed? in terms of Congress, in terms of the politics, the partisanship in this town?
1: Well, I speak to that often, uh, especially with the uh, young people who come to our institute, and uh, we're trying to inspire them to get involved in uh, in public service. And uh, you know, I, I tell them I, I, I've seen Washington at its best, and I've seen Washington at its worst. Um, I, I guess the good news is I've seen Washington work. Uh, when I first uh, went back to Washington, when I first was elected, To the Congress, Uh, Tip O'Neill was the speaker, uh, Democrats, Democrat, but he had a great relationship with Bob Michael, who was the minority leader, Uh, and uh, yes, they had their political differences, but they really believed that both parties should work together. Uh, when it came to major issues facing this country, and we did. And we were encouraged to do that by the leadership, Um, whether it was budget issues or energy issues or Social Security or whatever. We were encouraged to work together, and we did, whether it was a Democratic president or a Republican president like Reagan. uh, We did an awful lot, and we accomplished an awful lot. Uh, I think today what I sense is that, uh, you know, Washington is dysfunctional. Uh, Both the Democrats and the Republicans are very divided, uh, they have a hard time working together, a hard time finding consensus, uh, and as a result of that gridlock, uh, very little is being done on the on the key issues facing our country. And I think that anger and frustration was reflected uh, in the campaign last year and, and in the election. So uh, I guess my hope is that uh, a new president in both the Republican and Democratic leadership will recognize That What the American people expect is that they will go to Washington to govern, uh, not to simply pound their shoe on the table and uh, engage in further gridlock or paralysis. And
0: we're seeing a number of, especially Senate Republicans, uh, Leon Panetta, Senators Rubio and Graham and McCain, for a number of reasons, raise a number of red flags at the start of the Trump administration. Do you get a sense that they are putting institution ahead of party?
1: I, I, you know, uh, God bless them for uh, for being statesmen and for looking at the bigger picture of what's involved here. I mean, I, I think too often uh, both parties get so engaged in the politics of the moment uh, and whether or not they're scoring points uh, that they lose sight of the bigger picture uh, and what's happening with the country, uh, what's happening with the issues that uh, – Uh, are important to deal with Uh, you know we we have a we have a country that has uh, survived for over 200 years um, but it survived because of leadership and people willing to take risks for leadership i i tell the students here that in our democracy we govern either by leadership or by crisis Uh, if there's leadership and it's willing to take the risks associated with leadership then you know we can we can avoid crisis but otherwise we govern by crisis, and I think too often uh, in recent years we've allowed crisis to uh, drive the governing process in Washington, and we pay a price for that, which is the loss of the trust of the American people in our system of governing. How do you
0: think history will view the eight years of the Obama White House and his leadership?
1: I think uh, you know that uh, history obviously will be will be the judge uh, of uh, of uh, President uh, Obama's term. Uh, I think there's no question that I think history will say that, uh, you know, he was he was very thoughtful uh, and dignified in the position of uh, President of the United States, uh, was, uh, you know, was someone who uh, retained a great deal of integrity uh, and uh, spoke directly, I think, to the American people about uh, what this country needed. And I I think uh, he did, in fact, uh, take some steps, both domestically and internationally, that uh, improved uh, the strength of the United States, uh, not only here but but in the world. Uh, At the same time, I think uh, there's a recognition that uh, Washington has become further divided, that uh, the president uh, came in uh, with the hope that he could produce real change in the way Washington governed itself. Uh, and for a lot of reasons, that uh, did not happen. Uh, and those divisions in Washington became worse, uh, not better. And I think uh, that uh, you know that history will will say that uh, although he was able to achieve some important things for the country, uh, that perhaps uh, he was unable to do the one thing that uh, you know he really wanted to accomplish, which, which was to change the mood and the spirit. Uh, in Washington, so that people could work together, find consensus, and be able to govern. Do you think he senses that as well? You know him very well. I think he does. I think he does. Uh, you know, I, I, when I was in the administration, I remember talking to him about uh, the importance of trying to reach out uh, to the leadership, and you know, so often uh, he would run into barriers uh, in the effort to do that, and it was very frustrating for him uh, not to be able to engage in that kind of effort to find compromise and find consensus. And, you know, in the end, that's that's the only way you really uh, can govern effectively is when both sides recognize that they're not going to get everything they wanted, uh, that it isn't just about scoring political points, but it's about wil- the willingness to compromise in order to uh, be able to move the ball forward, to get something done uh, for the country. That's the key to uh, the ability of democracy to survive.
0: In our remaining minutes, let me ask you about uh, the Defense Department, the Pentagon. You served as Defense Secretary for two years. By the way, have we ever had a Defense Secretary known as Mad Dog?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, think, uh, I think that may be uh, a first. Uh, you Do you know, know General Mattis? I know him very well. He uh he worked uh for me when I was Secretary of Defense. He was uh a very good uh, marine, a very good commander. He was head of CENTCOM, uh which is a very tough joint command uh that operates uh, in really the hot spots of the world. Uh and uh I trusted his judgment uh and I trusted his advice uh, uh without question because he was uh, he was really a, a great soldier and uh I think a great American, so I'm glad he's where he is.
0: What advice would you give him as he uh, takes over probably the biggest job he's ever had with the biggest bureaucracy in the federal government?
1: Well, it, General Mattis was always a straight shooter uh, with me and uh, with others, and uh, I always, I always felt that he spoke his mind, uh, which I, frankly, I thought was important. I, I, I wanted the people who worked for me to speak directly to me and. Uh, and not hesitate to tell me what they thought was the truth. And uh, I guess I would say to Jim Mattis, uh, you know, speak truth to power. That's, that's really important. Uh, and, you know, obviously work with your own department to uh, develop uh, the best recommendations you can uh, make to the President of the United States. We're dealing with, obviously, a very dangerous world. Uh, the Defense Department is going to have to play a very key role in dealing with the issues in a in a very dangerous world. Uh, So provide the best advice, provide the best guidance. But most of all, don't pull any punches, uh, because it is really important that the president understand uh, the realities of what the president's dealing with in a very dangerous world.
0: And what's your gut feeling?
1: Are you concerned about President
0: Trump? Do you have worries or do you think it's going to be okay?
1: Well, I I think there's going to be a long shakedown period here because, uh, you know, we're dealing with somebody that really doesn't have uh, a lot of experience uh, in politics or in governing. Uh, you know, he has experience in the business world. Uh, but that's a that's a very different world from uh, the world of being a world leader and being a leader uh, in our democracy. Um, it uh, you know, he's, he's going to have to he's going to have to learn. Uh the uh, The challenges that are out there that uh, we do operate uh, under a system of checks and balances that you know you can't just uh, uh tweet your demands or 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 try to uh, do executive orders to uh, accomplish things because frankly uh, that it doesn't work uh, and uh President Obama found it out. you just can't use executive orders to try to get around the process if you wanted. If you want to accomplish things in this country, you got to work through the process, which means you're going to have to engage with the leadership on Capitol Hill. You're going to have to sit down. You're going to have to compromise. You're going to have to come to, uh, uh, to agreements that are able to deal with uh, the challenges that we're facing, whether it's infrastructure funding or the budget or whether it's energy or whether it's uh, issues related to tax reform. Uh, all of the great issues that face our country, the only way – Uh, A president is going to be able to do that if he's if he's he's willing to sit down uh, and and truly work with the uh, uh, the bipartisan leadership on Capitol Hill to get things done. Because if this country uh, winds up with another four years of paralysis because everybody is in their trenches and doesn't want to negotiate, doesn't want to talk to the other party, uh, I think we'll pay a hell of a price in these next four years. And uh, I think it's a it's probably a good bet that if we have four more years of paralysis, uh, that uh, this administration will get kicked out by the voters just like uh, uh, they expressed themselves in the last election.
0: Your resume includes the book Worthy Fights, a memoir of leadership in war and peace, and the founder and chairman of the Panetta Institute for Public Policy. How did you come up with that name?
1: Well, when my wife and I uh, came back, actually, it was the, uh, when I left as uh, as chief of staff to uh, President Clinton the first time, came back, uh, and were very concerned that young people didn't quite share the inspiration that I did about getting involved in public service. Uh, and so for that reason, we really wanted to establish an institute that would try to inspire young people to get involved in public life. And uh, that was uh, that's why we established the institute. Uh, we have programs uh, like uh, internships in Washington, leadership programs. We do a lecture series. Uh, we really try to provide young people with the opportunity to get involved in public service. And, uh, you know, we're really proud that uh, there are a lot of young people as a result of that who, who are now involved. I, I think that ultimately uh, the best way we're going to change this country is probably from the bottom up. I'm not so sure that it's going to change from the top down.
0: Leon Panetta, joining us from California, thank you very much for being with us. We appreciate it. Nice to be with you, Steve. This has been the C-SPAN Radio podcast. You can follow C-SPAN Radio on Twitter and let us know what you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast player. And a reminder, every C-SPAN podcast is available on the free C-SPAN Radio app for Apple and Android devices as well as iTunes, Google Play Music, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Thank you for listening.